uh, again, welcome you to Wheatland Community Church. It's great to have you all here today. It's really a special thing to gather in Jesus' name and worship him, and worship him with you all uh, as the church. The, the Apostle Paul calls us the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is our head, and we are the body. And we all have unity in Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. And even though there's many little points of relatively insignificant disunity amongst us, just we have differences of opinions about all sorts of things, we are one in Jesus. And we find our, our, ourselves to be able to look at each other in the eyes and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and we can say yes and amen to that. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to worship God together. I love Sunday mornings. Every Sunday morning, I am excited to come and see you all and gather with you and worship with you, share the Word of God with you, and it's a really beautiful and special thing. Uh, I just wanted to share a few announcements, um, a few things that are coming up. Uh, we don't have prayer—usually we have prayer and fellowship day the first Tuesday of every month— um, there's a couple of us that have, have a conflict this Tuesday, so we're going to move it to the second Tuesday once again. So February 13th, we want to invite you to join us. If you haven't joined us yet for one of these events, it's a really special time. We gather together, we open up the Bible for 10, 15 minutes, just kind of kick around some ideas, some thoughts about what the Scripture says, and then we enter into a time of prayer, usually anywhere between 40 and 60 minutes of just simply seeking God's face together. And so for some of you, like, whoa, Kevin, 60 minutes of just praying, that's a lot. It's a really special time. Uh, if you've never done it, I just want to invite you to it. I think you'll, I think you'll have a really great time. And then we, have, we share a, a meal together afterwards, and it's a really special time. Um, also, I want to highlight our summer day camp. I mean, I know it's winter. It's in the middle of the, the winter. But summer day camp is around the corner, and we're excited to start planning for it. So if you are interested in being involved or learning more about it, maybe you're, you're here and you're like, I don't really know much about summer day camp if you're newer. Or maybe you've been here for a couple years and, and you're like, yeah, you, you've talked a lot about it and it seems really fun and stuff, but you know, yeah, maybe I should be involved this year. Uh, talk to my wife, Jennifer. She organizes it. Uh, or you can just show up on February 21st and we'll tell you more about it. And then also, uh, for those of you who are involved in our Alpha groups, we want to invite you to uh, specifically what's called the Alpha Weekend. We, uh, that week, uh, the week of uh, the end of February there, a weekend of March 1st and 2nd and 3rd, uh, Alpha groups are canceled, uh, but not canceled, canceled, because we have Alpha weekend. And so Friday night and Saturday morning, we're going to gather here in the sanctuary, and we're going to have uh, a little bit of a crash course of, of Alpha. And what that specifically we're going to be looking at is, the, is the, the topic of the Holy Spirit, the person and the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it'll be a really special time, and I'm looking forward to uh, watching some videos and having some really meaningful discussions with you all during those times. If you can only make it for Friday night or only Saturday morning, that's totally fine. Come for as much of it as you, as you can. All right, at this time, I want to invite Mark to uh, share the scripture this morning as well as uh, a prayer. We uh, forgot one announcement. No, we didn't. We yes, didn't we forget did. it. No, we That's didn't. very important. Now, everybody, <laughs> I know what he's doing. we are a community church here, and we celebrate our lives. So coming up this Tuesday, someone has a special birthday, and that's Kevin Martin. So we are going to sing this morning, even though he hates it, we're going to sing to him. So everybody, one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kevin. Happy birthday to you. Okay, thank you, everyone.
Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, I think I'll do it down here. That'd be easier. I'm just, uh, just suffering a little bit today, so. All right. We're in the Gospel of Mark. We continue on. Chapter 6, everyone, starting with verse 30. What a privilege it is to read from the Word of God, especially this portion of Scripture. Um, the miracle is incredible. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. All right, uh, Junior Church, we, I didn't forget about you. You guys can uh, head on downstairs. You are dismissed. Yeah, have a good class and enjoy the time in God's Word. Well, um, do, you ever, do you ever feel the tension within your soul sometimes in life between doing what you know is right and good and what you're supposed to do whether it's just culturally or what God says, you, you, just, you know instinctively, this is what I need to do. But then there's something within you that says, but, but I, I just don't want to do it, right? I mean, we've all been there, haven't we, with, with, with that tension? I, I remember distinctly, and it's not just one moment, because it's literally every moment that I've ever intentionally gone out to evangelize. Uh, the word evangelize can sometimes be a scary word. It just simply means telling people about Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Every time I intentionally go out to, to share the gospel, which is objectively speaking a good thing and right thing to do, right? I think we could all uh, agree to that. That's, it's never a bad idea to go out and, and do that. 
Um, I mean, maybe if someone like, you know, if, if someone like, maybe if like your wife is dying and bleeding to death, and maybe you probably shouldn't, maybe you should take her to the hospital instead. But other than that, essentially, it's always a good idea to share the gospel. Okay, so every time I go intentionally to, to that, there's a tension within me that, that rises up that says, but I don't want to because it's uncomfortable. I just would rather stay home and play video games or binge movies or watch a sports thing or something like anything else. There's something, there's a tension in my soul between what the scripture calls the spirit of God in me and the flesh, which is kind of our, the, the controlling sin factor, if you will, right? The sin nature. And what do we do with that tension, right? How do we, how do we work through that tension? How do we process that tension? And largely, I think Jesus helps us here in, in a lot of ways with that tension. And what ends up happening, if I'm honest, I've, every single time that I've intentionally gone out and followed that sense of what is good and true and right, every time, I find myself significantly more filled with joy and peace and love and contentment. Because why? Because I obeyed God rather than obeyed my flesh. And, you know, you might say, Kevin, what does that have to do with the feeding of the 5,000? Um, well, let's, let's dive in because I think a lot. And um, I, I hate to disappoint some of you. Some of you may be disappointed. We're going to actually not spend a lot of time um, on the back half of the text. We're actually going to spend most of our time in the, in the front end, which doesn't usually get as much of the love. But that's where we're going to spend most of our time. So today, um, there's a lot of different situations, right, where we just simply don't feel like obeying God, right? M- maybe for you, it's somebody's hurt you deeply and it's difficult for you to forgive them. It's easier to hold on to bitterness. It's easier to hold a grudge. Maybe there's somebody that's in your life that's just flat out difficult to love and you just want to give up or you want to run away. Maybe there's a controlling, addictive sin in your life. And you know you need to stop, but you don't really want to give it up. Maybe God is calling you to do something that you don't feel like doing, but you know it's God. Or perhaps you're just flat out spiritually apathetic and you lost your zeal and love for Jesus, but you know God is calling you to seek him afresh. So today we're going to look at the heart and the character of Jesus. We're going to look at three um, dynamics of, uh, or attributes of Jesus. First, his wisdom. Secondly, his compassion, and then lastly, his power. And so that's where we're going today. So first, we're going to emphasize the wisdom of Jesus. Let's jump in right in the beginning. So we have to set the the context, though. Last week, if you were here, if you remember where we are, or if you've got your Bibles out and you can see, um, the story right before this was kind of a fun but also kind of weird and sad story about John the Baptist getting beheaded. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty intense story. It, it was kind of difficult, but also we learned a lot, I think, from last week of just pulling observations and things like that. So that was kind of a parenthesis in the story of Mark here, because right before that story, Jesus commissioned his 12 disciples, and he told them, proclaim the gospel, tell people to repent, heal the sick, and cast out demons. And he gave them the authority to do that. And that's how, if you go back to verse 12 in in Mark, sorry, I don't have it on the screen, it says that they went out and preached that people should repent, they drove out demons, they anointed sick people, and and they healed them. In other words, they obeyed Jesus and they saw success. 
They saw exactly what Jesus said they would see if they, if they followed what he said. And so we skip through that section about John the Baptist and we come and we continue that earlier story right here in verse 30. And this is what it says. Verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, I just love this. I, I think we just want to camp here just for a second because I think this is so much fun. I love hearing about the way God is at work in people's lives. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it, isn't it motivating when you hear what miraculous things God has done in people's lives? I think there's nothing better than hearing a story of someone who was once dead, spiritually speaking. They were lost. They, they were confused. They didn't know God at all. And then all of a sudden, God saves them by his grace. And they come into relationship with God and they're just like, oh man, I was missing it for so long. I'm so excited to know Jesus. And there's joy and there's peace and there's contentment and there's just this whole new world because they're a new creation. Isn't that the most exciting thing in the world? There's literally nothing better than that. And actually, God says it himself. Jesus says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one that, that would repent than the 99 that don't need to. If you want to see and, and know that heaven and God is being praised and glorified more than anything else in the world, share the gospel. And when you see someone come to faith and repentance, you know there is a party going on in heaven. And that's what they were having on earth. The apostles and Jesus, they're, they're just having a blast sharing stories. Jesus, look what, look what happened. I said this and these people responded and, and in your name I was able to heal this person. I drove out that demon. It was incredible. They're excited and ecstatic. There is so much fun and excitement going on right here and right now. They just got done with the, the trip of their lives where they saw amazing things happen. And also... Not only were they on this amazing spiritual high, emotional high, but they were also physically exhausted. Um, if you've ever been like on a mission trip or if you've ever like devoted like a week to like missions work in some kind of a way, like Flower Sea Work Camp or something like that, you know at the end of that week, you are exhausted. You're drained. You're spent. And uh, it even says, if you, if you skip down to verse uh, 30, where is it, 30. 31 at the end, it says that they did not even have time to eat. I mean, they were moving and things were happening, things were going, and they were moving at a, at a pace that was, that was fast. So what does Jesus say? What is, what is Jesus' wisdom to his disciples in this situation? This is what he says. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. I think we all can feel this in different ways, can't we? Right? Life can get busy, it can get hectic, it can get crazy, it feels out of control. We can quickly become anxious, and we are confronted constantly by, by different responsibilities, whether that's work, family, home, church, relational pressures, all sorts of things, financial stress. But perhaps even more challenging than the, than the external busyness of life is sometimes the internal busyness of our soul. It's, it's the constant chatter and the anxiety that comes up and the, 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 the things that press in and weigh hard on your mind. Maybe it's fighting an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship that's not right. 
loneliness, poor health, problems at work, financial stress, children making big mistakes. For some of you, you don't ever get a break, right? Some of, some of you, your mind is just constantly dwelling on and, and it's just busy and it's, and, it's, and it's burdened down by these pressures. You feel like there's never rest for your soul. So how is it that Jesus wants us to rest? He tells us rest for a while. How is it that we find and pursue rest in our lives? I think this is a really important topic. I wish we had more time to, to dive in. It really needs a good four or five week series, but let's do a, let's do a 10 minute job on it. <laughs> you don't want to go three hours today, Fred? We could. I mean, I could. Okay. Uh, the kind of rest that Jesus calls us to, this is really important. It is not, it is not a self gratifying rest. It is not a like I described earlier, a flesh-oriented rest, a how can I please my, my sinful soul here? What can I do to get what I want in this rest time? It's not vegging around, consuming massive amounts of entertainment, which is, I think, the traditional view of rest today. It's, it's the American view of rest. Put up my feet, grab my ice cream and potato chips, and turn on the game and football all day, or binge watch, you know, this show, or whatever. That isn't rest. Jesus said that, that's not Jesus' idea of rest. I, I would propose to you that Jesus was promoting three disciplines here, here and as we see also in the Gospel of Luke and elsewhere. There's three disciplines I want to bring out. And um, I also wanted to highlight at this time, there's a few books that I would encourage you to consider. If you're interested in, in diving more on this topic of rest, um, specifically for the men in the room, Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes is a great text. It's a, it, the, the first two that I'm going to share are, are very holistic on discipline. Um, but I think, right, discipline is close to godliness, people say, right? It's, it's so important. To, to be disciplined, and so he, he dives through a lot of disciplines. This one's, a, this one's like, I would say, the classic text on discipline, and that's Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. If, if you have never read this, this is probably one of those, like, top 20 Christian books. Like, it just needs to be on your bookshelf. It just needs to be on your reading list. So if you've never read Celebration of Discipline, this is a great text. It's classic. Uh, you know, grab that one. That one's a little bit more of, again, like a little bit of a classically written text. Uh, this one's a little bit more modern. I've actually referenced this before also, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, this one, I think, would speak more maybe specifically to the practical dynamics of the, the feeling of the weight of, of the busyness of life and then how to rest well in Jesus. So just a few recommendations for you. I've, I've kind of perused through those this week in, in some preparation and some, some of the things we're going to share have, have to do with those books. But. So first, I wanted to highlight this discipline of uh, solitude and silence. That's what Jesus is talking about here, is it not? Look at the words he uses. Come away by yourselves to a remote place. He's talking about solitude and silence. For, for further reference, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, uh, a very similar situation that's, uh, that's going on, very similar context. It says, the news about him spread more and more, and large crowds would come to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Jesus understood the significance and the value of getting away 
And so what exactly is solitude? That's a fancy word that we don't really use very often. It is not escaping reality. It is not running from responsibilities or people. It is getting away towards God. It's a really important distinction to make. It's not escaping reality. It's not saying, I just need, I just need this for me. Like a self-centered, I just need to remove myself from people. No, it's, I need to meet with God. That's what the purpose of solitude and silence is for, this discipline. What Jesus is talking about, the rest that we need. The wisdom of Jesus is that we practice solitude and silence. Yes, even in today's day and time. Solitude is more of a mindset than a location. It's more of an internal discipline rather than an internal feeling. And you might be here and you might say, well, Kevin, yeah, my problem isn't, isn't being, being alone. It's not, it's not being by myself because maybe you struggle with loneliness or, or just you know, maybe you feel like you don't get enough time and quality time with people. And you say, I don't want to have more time alone. I want to have more time with people. That's what I need. And to, to that I would say, yes, that's exactly what solitude's all about. Spending quality time with people, and specifically the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's especially what we need to lean completely into, purposefully and intentionally. Finding that place where we meet with God, and that time where we meet with God. And silence. I think silence is rejuvenating. Have you had that experience? Have you had the experience where you just sat in silence? No music, no coffee shop noise, no cars honking on the, on the road, but just simply sat in silence. For, you know, for some of us who maybe have like ADD, ADHD, it's, it's maybe a little bit freaky, but it's actually, it's actually a beautiful experience. It's rejuvenating, it's motivating, it's life-giving, it's rare. St. Augustine simply described it as entering into joy. That's how he described silence, entering into joy. Interestingly, uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, if you've never read that, that's a really interesting read. Um, rather than looking at the kingdom of God, it's looking at the kingdom of Satan. And it's, the book is written from the perspective of, of demons trying to destroy God's created world and trying to destroy Christians. It's a really interesting text. And C.S. Lewis, in that book, he he, he screw tape is kind of the head demon here in, this, in the text. And he calls Satan's realm a kingdom of noise. And he claims, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. And I think that's an interesting observation, and I don't think it's too far from the truth. I think that's partly the goal of the satanic realm, is to make things so loud and noisy and busy that we're so wrapped up in it all, and we don't have time to sit in solace, in silence. The purpose of silence is to listen to God and allow his grace and his peace to flood over you. I mean, really, trust me, you are missing out if you've never experienced purposeful, intentional times of solitude and silence. Some of my most fulfilling times in life have been simply sitting quietly with Jesus or taking a walk in the woods. That, that's just some of the most beautiful times. 
So, that, so those are the first disciplines that I think Jesus is especially referring to here. But to go along with that, I, and we've, we've already said this, the purpose of the silence and the solitude is to help us to seek God. It is so that we might meet with God. That is the ultimate rest. And if you read the book of Hebrews, that's what it's talking about, about the Sabbath rest. The whole fulfillment that Jesus Christ was and is to the Old Testament Sabbath principle is himself. He himself is our rest. So when we participate in the principle of Sabbath, when we look back at the Sabbath principle, we say, Jesus, that's what I need. I don't necessarily need a literal 24 hours of not doing work, although that's significant and important to still honor that principle because God created it. But even more, the significance of the principle of Sabbath is that I rest in Jesus, that he is my rest. He is my all in all. I allow him to infiltrate my heart and my mind to the fullest extent. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the input we need most. God is is the input that we need most. There is no greater thing for the Christian than to be in continuously, continuous connection with God. We just need it. We need our life source. We need our vine. So I want to propose to you before we move to our second point, um, and we're going to talk through, this, this will essentially be our application for the day um, that we'll repeat a couple of times, but we need to make purposeful time this week to rest. We need to make purposeful time this week to rest. If you've never done it, if you've never had true silence and solitude, and, and maybe you're in here and you're saying, Kevin, I literally don't have that. There's no corner of my house. There's no time of day where I have that. Although I, I would guess if you were to wake up in the middle of the night, you'd probably find it. And you might say, Kevin, that's unreasonable. That's what Jesus did to find rest. He, he, he got up very early while it was still dark to find his rest. And so we fight for it. We've got to fight for it. We've got to fight for that silence and that solitude so that we can hear from God. Okay, great. So we're all going to rest this week, and it's going to be wonderful, and there's never going to be any hiccups, Right? Yeah, yeah, right, right? I think is more the, the response, yeah. Uh, no, look at, look, at, look at the reality of the story. This is reality, right? So they went away in the boat by themselves. They're going to have a great time of rest. They went to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognizing them. They ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. The relentlessness of reality, Right? The relentlessness of the noise. And yet, is this really just noise, though, as we'll see? Ah, Man's best attempts to do what is good and right will often meet pushback from reality. Have you felt that before? There's been times in your life where you've set out to do something that was good, that was right, that you knew was in the will of God, and then something changed and all of a sudden you're like, what happened? How, it just, it's totally messed up now. That's just reality, right? And the disciples and Jesus had to deal with it as well. So how does this happen? How do these guys not get to find a place to rest? I mean, come on, Jesus. Like, you're God. You created the world. You know the spots. You know how to, you know, you can just 
turn people blind for a little while and, and get yourself to a remote place where nobody sees you and follows you, right? And I think we meet our second principle here, uh, the compassion of Jesus. But just for some context, so they're on the Sea of Galilee at this moment. We don't know exactly where they are. Um, John's gospel, because all four gospels give this story in the Bible, John's gospel says that they crossed the sea. Um, and they end up in Bethsaida, which is in the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. So they probably weren't down at the very lowest end, but they, they might have been somewhere on the western, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the western shore. That's probably most likely. But either way, they're, they're, they're crossing the sea. And as they're crossing the sea, so this is the view. It's hard to see maybe because of the, the distance, but this is, this is a view of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know from which direction. But as you can see, I mean, it's, it's a good seven miles wide. So, you know, there, there might be parts in the very middle where even on a clear day, it'd be hard to, hard to see. But, but you, you can tell if there's boats out there, right? You better, and, and if, if they were over on the, on the western shore somewhere, they're not going to go straight out to the middle and then straight up north to try to hide their tracks. They're probably going to follow the coastline, you know, somewhat closely. And as they cross town after town after town, people are like, that's, that's Jesus' boat. That's the disciples. And they're like, hey, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's find him. He, maybe he'll do a miracle. Maybe he'll heal us. You know, I've got this, this pain in my arm. Maybe he'll, he'll take care of that for me. Like, and they're thinking this way, and the other gospel, one of the other gospels actually says as much. Jesus actually says, you just came to me because you wanted to see some, some miraculous sign done. Even despite the motives of the people, Jesus still specifically allowed them to come and gather around him and his disciples. He allowed for the distraction to come. He allowed for the noise, so to speak, as we might interpret it, to come. And then we, we see verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, then he began to teach them many things. The compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus is an incredible thing. The word, uh, the Greek word uh, for compassion is the first Greek word that I learned from my professor in college, in my Greek class. He thought it was a funny sounding name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably mess it up so I have to read from my notes. It's splank, splankidzomai. Um, and, and here's what it means, literally what it means. It means to be moved in your bowels. It's literally what it means. Um, because in ancient Greek culture, your bowels were the seat of the emotions. That was kind of the, the, the consideration of where your emotions came from. So he's not talking about a bowel movement here. He's talking about a movement of the emotions. And specifically it meant, it, it came to, to especially mean pity or compassion. It, it meant to be moved in such a way that you felt for somebody you felt bad for them. You felt like, oh, you're missing out on something that is so critical or so important or such a blessing. And this is the kind of deeply held emotion that welled up inside of Jesus when he saw the people coming. Now, I mean, let's be honest. If, just put yourself in the, in, the, in the boat here with Jesus as one of the disciples. You just have been spending yourself, working hard and tirelessly. All you want is just some rest, right? You're looking forward to just going up the mountain with Jesus. And what a great time that's going to be. Just you and Jesus, you can just 
rest, you can talk with Jesus, you can pray, spend time seeking God's face. And then all of a sudden, oh, more people. After being with people for weeks and weeks and days and days and more people. I imagine that's how all of the disciples were thinking. But not Jesus. Jesus had compassion. I think this is one of the most beautiful characteristics of Jesus. You know, we, we, we talk about how God decided to save mankind from their sin, right? And that's a biblical doctrine as well, that God, before he even made the world, he knew what was going to happen, and so he had predetermined ahead of time that he would save mankind from their sins. It was a very logical and a very, you know, methodical, like, this is what's going to happen, okay, it's very thought out, so I'm going to do this. And sometimes we tend to think of God's decision to save mankind more from a, almost a, a mechanical kind of a perspective. The whole theme of the Bible can be described as God's plan of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, it's a story about God saving us from our sin. He created beauty and wonder and perfection, and then we said no to God. Incredible. It's absolutely amazing that we just said, no, I want to do things my way, and ushered into existence this idea of sin into our own lives, into the world. And then God said, now that you guys did that, the only hope for you is that I save you. And that's what exactly what he was willing to do. The compassion of God. But it's more than just his determination to save us. He felt compassion towards us. It wasn't cold, random, emotionless decision. It was out of a deep longing and love for us that he decided to save us. And note specifically here, I'm sure you have noted it already in your own mind, why is it that Jesus had compassion? Or what was it that motivated Jesus to have compassion? Look at what it says. It says, whoops, it'd be helpful if I had the scripture on there. It said, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's because they were lost. It's because they didn't know any better. It was, it, was, it, was like, it was like the parent, right, who, who understands that their little two-year-old's not going to, you know, know the deeper things of life, right? As parents, we don't expect our, our two-year-olds to, you know, to know how to be responsible and to, like, take off the trash and to, you know, do these. Like, they're two, right? They're not going to get certain things. And so we, we understand. And Jesus had understanding that they were lost. They didn't know better. that they needed him, the ultimate shepherd of their souls. So what did he do? He began to teach them many things. The compassion of Jesus, and this is an interesting note, when we think of the compassion of Jesus, it is specifically geared towards or, or given to those who don't yet already know him. And so I, 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 would, I don't think we need to make it a big deal, but it's, it's not that Jesus is compassionate towards his church. He has already been compassionate towards his church. He continues to love his church deeply, but his compassion, that is for the lost. That is for the broken. That is for the hurting. That is for the spiritually confused. That is for the sinful, the ones that the world rejects, the ones that sometimes Christians wrongly put over there in that category, don't want anything to do with. But not Jesus. Jesus says, oh, that they would receive my leading. 
that they would respond to me, the great shepherd. He so desires it. I mean, there's so many illustrations of this. I wanted to take us to John chapter 3 where he speaks to Nicodemus, a religious leader. He had compassion on a guy that should have known better, but he still had compassion on him. Same thing in the book of John, the blind man of John chapter 9, right? A man who was born blind and was in a situation of just not, not, just not discerning spiritual things. He had grown up hearing about God and the law, but he didn't know God personally, intimately. And Jesus met him where he was at. He showed compassion towards him. But one of, one of my favorites is, as far as compassion is concerned is, is the, the Samaritan woman of John chapter 4. Here's this woman that was a known sinner. I mean, she was the kind of person that you and I probably wouldn't want to hang out with. Right? She had, you know, messed around a bunch with a bunch of different guys. And, um, and she specifically avoided the crowds. She went to the well at midday when most people would go earlier in the day. And that's, that's exactly when and where Jesus met her. He met her in her shame. He met her in her sin. And he was willing to say, I don't care about what you have done. I care about you. I care about you, the person. Now, of course, he cares about what she did. I mean, it grieves the heart of God when we sin. But he cares about the person. Jesus wants the person. He wants you. Dear person in here that doesn't yet know God, he wants you to come into relationship with him. He wants you to find your rest and your whole self in him, in his grace and in his love. That's the heart and the desire of God for you. And that's the way the story goes. Not only did he show her compassion initially, but he was willing to stay there for days teaching her and the community, her whole village, about how he was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And many in that village came to know him. It's a beautiful story if you've never read it, John chapter 4. It's a great story. So let's go back, not only to the compassion of Jesus here, but also the wisdom of Jesus once again. Because Jesus, I thought you and the disciples had to rest. You were supposed to rest, but now you're, you're back and you're having compassion on people and you're being with people again. Don't you need to rest? I propose to you, if Jesus was in America, 21st century, and, and he and his disciples were to kind of, you know, take a, fl- a plane and land somewhere and a big crowd were to come. And if he were to say, hey, you know, guys, we've, just, we've been with people all, all week. We've been doing so much work. We just kind of need some rest. I think generally speaking, the American population, the church, and just in general, we would all say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, we, we get it, Jesus. Yeah, you, you guys deserve some time, some rest. Because that's an American value, right? We deeply value rest and we deeply value, you know, time to ourselves. Um, I don't know if these people would have been so understanding. But Jesus didn't, doesn't concern himself with that. He concerns himself with the, the, the hearts of people and their needs. And Jesus said, I want to have compassion on these people. I need to meet their needs. And so sometimes I wonder if we confuse American wisdom for the wisdom of God. Because you and I might say, man, yeah, they really should have taken rest. Because, man, they could get burned out here. You know, what happens if they serve too much and they, and they give too much of themselves away? What, what happens if they, you know, if, they, if they tell too many people about Jesus? That's terrible. Right? You know, oh, we can't, we can't do too much. Like, that's like one of our 
highest, like, oh, whoa, whoa, we got to really tone it back here. I already served for two hours this week. I can't do any more. I already told five people about Jesus. I can't tell anybody else because I'll just burn out. And that's not the value system of Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at life that way. Yes, he values rest very, very highly. But then, then when, when it comes to people, I, I think Jesus sometimes puts people ahead of self, right? And Jesus is starting to teach us this principle of when there's opportunity to love those who are broken and hurting and lost, we take that opportunity. I mean, we take that opportunity when, when it's presented. Not necess- I'm not saying, hey, you got to spend yourself constantly and go find those opportunities and go pursue, you know, yeah, hey, rest, but man, if there is the opportunity, because there's been those times, right? There's been those times when you felt burnt out, you've been emotionally exhausted, and then an opportunity to do good in some way presents itself, and you're just like, well, I deserve a break. Come on, I've been working really hard. I've been doing a lot of stuff. I just kind of need a break. And you do. And this is where the tension comes in, isn't it? How do we handle these things? I don't think we should make any blanket statements here, such as, Every single time the opportunity for ministry comes up to love people, to have compassion, that always trumps your need for rest. I don't think, I don't think that's, the, that's the point of, what Jesus, of this story here. Nor should we be overly vague. Well, God values rest and he loves people, so it's up to you how you want to live. Just follow your heart. Do what you feel is good. I, I think that's kind of silly. I think what we can say is God deeply values rest, And God is deeply sympathetic towards the lost. And those two things ought to guide us. So, to put it another way, especially after seasons of lots of work or ministry, seek to rest well in Jesus. Seek to rest well in Jesus. Carve out intentional time to rest. But secondly, whenever an opportunity presents itself to minister the gospel to someone who's lost, especially, that is an extremely high priority. So what does this mean for us? Once again, we seek to rest in Jesus. And if we want to take advantage of those opportunities to minister the gospel to people, even when we're tired, even when we feel spent, even when we feel burnt out, and we want to say, no, no, but I, man, God's put this person or this situation in my life. I've got to, I've got to pursue that. We've got to rest in Jesus constantly in order to be ready for that. See, Jesus, I think, made that part of his ministry in such a powerful way that the disciples remembered it because multiple times throughout the Gospels, they've recorded Jesus went alone to places to rest, to pray. And throughout his ministry, he shows us the pattern of rest, 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 so that he could minister well. So that if he needed to expend himself a little more, even though he was maybe going on fumes, even Jesus was a man, and needed to rest. Even Jesus was ministering people to people on humanly speaking fumes. Now it's God God fumes, so it, those fumes are pretty awesome. But even Jesus was tired and needed to rest. But even he said, "But you know what? There's another one that needs compassion. Here's another one that needs just a little more of my time, just a little more of my love, and I am going to be willing to spend myself for them." so that they might know my Father. 
that's worth a little more discomfort for me. See, Jesus was so kingdom-minded, he was so eternally focused, that he wasn't even concerned about his well-being. He was so focused on how other people could meet with God. And that's Jesus. We're not Jesus. But we are called to walk like Jesus. Right? We're called to walk like Jesus. 1 John 2.6 says, If you say that you remain in him, walk as Jesus walked. And so we are called to adopt the value system of God. To rest well and to show compassion well. Okay, so... Um, let's jump into our, our last point on Jesus' power. Um, I think for most of us, it's a pretty familiar story, so, um, but we're going to go through it again. Let's read it again, starting in verse 35. When it grew late, so a long day again, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, well, how many loaves and how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. I love the way that Mark writes that. He just, he had the loaf and he just kept on breaking it off. Just kept on breaking it. The the power of God, it's incredible. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who had eaten were 5,000 men. Some people would say there was probably between eight and 15,000 people there. So no small amount of people. Um, this, this was a large group of people. Now, part of the reason why I'm not spending most of the time on this part of the story, and it, it may seem almost weird to you, but um, if Jesus is God, and he is, And if Jesus created everything that we see, and he did, um, that means that Jesus breathed out countless galaxies and stars and planets, and he created the human being, and he created the human soul, which you can't even see or can't even discern really what the human spirit is. Are we really surprised that Jesus took a few pieces of bread and fish and made thousands of them out of it? I mean, from the context, from our perspective, this is an incredible miracle. It's, it's awesome. It's amazing. But like, let's be honest, from Jesus' perspective, it wasn't hard. <laughs> like, he was just like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. Another day, another day in the life of Jesus. <laughs> just, man, just feed 5,000 people. Easy peasy. Like, like, yeah, Jesus is powerful. Like, what do we expect? Right? Like, what, what other response should we have to this other than like, yeah, of course. This just confirms what I already know. Jesus is God, he can do whatever he wants. He has all authority. There is nothing that he can, cannot do. He can do whatever he wants. So I don't mean to belittle the miracle. It's absolutely amazing. It's just that when we step back 
meditate on the person of Jesus for a few moments, are we really surprised? Like, another day in the life of Jesus. But we do freshly praise him. In a, in a, in a, in a fresh way, we want to say, God, you are amazing. Because you are powerful over your creation. You have all authority. Nothing can thwart you. Nothing can get in the way of what you want to accomplish. This reminds us not only that Jesus is the author of creation, but that he is the constant master and sustainer of all matter. Not just physical matter, but whatever spiritual matter is as well. But I do want to focus on two things here from this part of the the story. First, how he interacted with his disciples. I've always loved this. Isn't this interesting? Right? The, the disciples had this earthly, natural mindset. Rightly so, right? I mean, they're humans. I think you and I would probably have a similar mindset. But what's Jesus' mindset? Jesus' mindset is heavenly. It's eternal. It is, it's supernatural. He's ready to provide supernaturally for these people. Because they don't have that kind of money. They don't have enough money to feed thousands and thousands of people. So I love how, how he kind of tests his disciples in this way. And John's gospel gives a, a, a unique perspective on this that the other gospels don't have, which is that there was actually a boy that had, that this was actually a boy's lunch, that, uh, that one of the disciples, I think it was Philip, um, you know, found out about. And, and so Jesus, you know, this boy presented his lunch saying, hey, you can take what's mine. And a lot of people have made a lot of that, which rightly so. Jesus can take whatever we have and use it for an amazing purpose. Some small little thing that you might think is insignificant, and God might want to do great things with it. God might want to take your little tiny little offering. You might drop 10 bucks in the offering. You have no idea how that 10 bucks might go to one of our missionaries and how someone comes to know Jesus Christ because of something little. Like I think of Daniel Sandoval in, in Costa Rica. He's running this kids program, and we sent, we sent him a, thousand, a gift of $1,000 last year so that he could have supplies and food and materials to bless the kids that come. And he's teaching them the gospel. Your, your giving, your big or small offerings provided for that. And God takes that and he multiplies it in beautiful ways. And so I, I think it's just, it's, it's amazing how God will take whatever we give. Even in our misunderstanding, even in our faulty understanding, he'll take what we, what we have, he'll be patient with us, teach us, and wow us. And then I love how he shows the abundance of his compassion for the lost and just the power of his nature. I mean, look at the, look at the leftovers, right? Everyone ate and was satisfied. You know, verse 41 says that he kept on giving to his disciples. He just kept on providing and providing, and he did it in an abundance. I think that's a significant point, that Jesus wants to show here in this, in this story that he not only blesses people, he not only wants to just totally provide and encourage those who are lost, he wants them to experience the fullness of God, the fullness of his compassion, the fullness of his power. Jesus wants to wow people. And that's exactly what he does. So, if you're like me, and sometimes you come to the scriptures and you feel overwhelmed at how amazing, majestic, powerful, compassionate Jesus is. 
And then you're also at the same time, though, sometimes um, conflicted at how small you are. Once again, there's that tension within us where we're like, oh, wow, God, you are absolutely amazing. You're powerful. You're compassionate. You are perfect in your wisdom. And I just seem to fail a lot, (laughs) right? Do you ever feel that way? Right? Sometimes you feel like you fall short in so many ways. And how do we, how do we walk through that? How do we think through that? Because we can't just multiply bread and fish, right? Unless, unless, of course, God specifically wants to do that in us. So how is it that Jesus, in all of his fullness, strengthens me and makes me capable and able to do what he did? How is it that I can show compassion like Jesus did? How is it that I can walk like Jesus walked? How can we get there? How do I experience his presence? How do I become filled with the Holy Spirit of God? How do I equip myself to walk as he walked? How do I be ready to love the church at any given moment? Ready to be patient, kind, and humble, and forgiving? Where do I find the strength to do that? And I think it goes back to the beginning where he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. And when we couple that with the other scriptures that we considered, how Jesus often withdrew to places for prayer, I believe that Jesus is showing us that the key to walking like he walked is the starting point. It's the source. It's making sure that we are well connected with God. And that's so cliche, right? Okay, yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious, Kevin, right? Yeah, of course, yeah, spend time with God. All right, good, good sermon. That's great. But no, like, fight for that. Don't be satisfied with okay. Don't be satisfied with 10 minutes if that's what you're doing, 10 minutes a day. Don't be satisfied with just an hour a week if that's what you're doing, having time with God. I would propose to you, there's, there's no time limit on, on this. There's no specifics But there should be, for the Christian, considerable time seeking the face of God in solitude and silence. Why? Because we're quite frail and we're quite weak. And we're going to be like the disciples, not ready to love like Jesus, not ready to show compassion like Jesus, if we don't fill ourselves up full with Jesus See, the disciples, they did really well when Jesus filled them up and he sent them out. And then they came back, and even though they were excited, they were empty. And they they could have really used that rest time, right? But then Jesus was teaching them, I think, in this story. Sometimes you just got to keep moving, keep loving, keep showing compassion. So, uh, I think another scripture that is helpful is Philippians 4.13. It says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. There is nothing that you cannot do that God is calling you to do. I'm not saying that you can become an NFL quarterback, okay? Most of us can't do that. Not, actually, probably none of us in this room can do that. That's okay. Oh, I just crushed your dreams. I'm sorry. Um, no. Um, now, nah, I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, if you don't know by now, at, you know, 14, 15 years old, I don't know. Maybe there's always possibilities. But the verse is not saying that we can do anything in this world. It's saying that you can do anything that God calls you to do. You can show compassion when Christ is strengthening you. How is it that Christ strengthens you? He strengthens you in the solitude. He strengthens you in the silence. He strengthens you in the seeking after him. 
That's where you find your strength, to be compassionate. That's where you find your strength, to exercise wisdom. That's where you find your strength, to walk in God's authority and power. And you might just be surprised at the amazing and powerful things that God does in your life as you rest in him. So let's commit ourselves in this time in prayer. And I want to just remind you, fight for that time. Fight for that time of solitude and silence, seeking after God. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you guide and direct and lead us by your word. And I just pray, God, that you would open up our hearts more and more to your word, to your spirit. God, we want to walk like Jesus. First, we are so thankful that you showed compassion on us, gave us the Holy Spirit and this calling now to live as Christians, little Christs, manifestations of you on this world. You call us ambassadors of the gospel, ministers of reconciliation. God, would you lead us to rest well in you first? And then, God, would you send us out like you did your disciples? Unleash us to go to a world that so needs you. Grow our hearts of compassion for the world. God, may it not sit well with us that our friends and our loved ones don't yet know you as Savior. Oh, God, would you just motivate us and would you lead us? So we commit ourselves in this time to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.